I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. The thing that sucked yeah. the most, though, is that af- after that conversation, like when we when we sat down to record with you, we were like, oh, miscarriages, this is like a one in a million conversation. This is so sweet. And then you just made it seem so common that after that, we were like, fuck this topic. We don't really want to <laughs> talk, but it's so normal. Like, uh, so we don't want to talk about this anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we find ourselves talking about it all the time. Uh, uh, so that was a joke. We, <laughs> it landed, don't worry. We are, uh, this, is, this is really fun. Uh, this is like kind of a, I, I feel like it's a, a, a bit of a first, but it's, we're in studio together with a guest. So Woo. again, this is like such a rare opportunity for us. Um, but we're rejoined by Joanne. And so this is like, this is for all the OG Sick Boy listeners. I'm sure there's at least one out there who's still with us <laughs> it's just after me. all these years. <laughs> yeah, it's just Joanne. Uh, uh, Joanne, you were on the podcast in February of 2016. Yeah. I believe it was February 8th was when the episode came out. And the episode title, you were one of our like regular Monday episode guests. Um, and the title of that episode was miscarriages suck and, uh, boy, oh boy, do they suck? I mean, I uh, hearsay they suck. I, I've never experienced it. Joanne, you've experienced it more than once. We'll we'll put it that way. Um, uh, and I remember, I remember I have a really bad memory, but I will say this, that conversation that we had with you five, almost six years ago now was one of the conversations that like has stuck with me since that day. Mm-hmm. And the thing that really, the thing that really struck the three of us was um, in that conversation, how, how we found out how common miscarriages actually are. And uh, I believe it's one in four, right? One in four and actually one in four pregnancies. So not even one in four women. One in four pregnancies. One in period. four. Pre- yeah, so, so yeah. So if you calculate a person, maybe they have three pregnancies. So like yeah. each woman can experience more than one pregnancy. So it can be more than actually one wow. in four women. Which is Whoa. so yeah. so bonkers. And again, when we heard that six years ago, it, it was like earth shattering for us. We had no fucking idea. And the thing that came from that conversation, and that continued after that conversation. I mean, we've talked about it now hundreds of times since then off mic and on mic but like how there's this um there is this sort of unspoken rule it seems at least in the western world where like women aren't supposed to talk about their miscarriages and that's why that's why it kind of struck struck us and and not only that it's like we also were talking about like the whole thing about 
not telling people that you're pregnant until you've like passed that window, which right. then makes it right. even more of a taboo subject because, right. because secrecy, secrecy breeds shame. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, so fast forward five and a half years later, we're sitting with you now and you've got a fucking book coming out. I do. Called a womb in the shape of a heart. Yep. Um, let's start with, let's start with the book. T- tell us Great. about the book. It's coming out. Uh, it came out yesterday as of when this is released. It came out yesterday. Um, so it's available now, but tell us, tell us about the book. Tell us about the impetus of, of writing the book, where it all came from. Sure. Yeah. So I, I started writing kind of throughout my process. So when I first met you guys six years ago, I had just had my second miscarriage. Right. And so I turned to writing as a really kind of creative outlet to deal with the feelings of isolation and grief and all of that stuff. And I kept writing um, and I went on to have a son and I had three other miscarriages and I kept writing. And then after I finally started to see a therapist after my Mm -hmm. fourth miscarriage, it kind of unlocked this really strong desire for me to share that story. And so that was the point where I kind of really intentionally wrote with the purpose of turning it into a book. Now, when you began the writing process for yourself, for your own like self healing, was this more so like journaling? And then, and then that you eventually you went back and looked at the things that you wrote and gleaned info and words from that to, to bring to the book. Exactly. And then as I like I actually was miscarrying during the actual writing of the book. So it's very, it's very interesting for me to read back on it and edit it, reading how I felt and who I was in those moments. Mm -hmm. So it's all very, it's very raw in the book because Mm -hmm. I wrote from those kind of dark spaces. And then now kind of we're almost, I'm almost two years out from my last miscarriage almost to the day. And reading back on that now, it's a little difficult sometimes to see yeah, who right. I was. It's like when I when we recorded that episode way back, I was 25. And the importance of I, I, it definitely landed with me then the importance of having that conversation. Um, and you did an amazing job of like of of highlighting that importance. But no, you know, being five years older now and that five years uh, from 25 to 30 having way more experience with friends who are trying to get pregnant and have children mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and and really seeing how fucking common it is like it's just yeah. you really it, you know you can you 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 told us and it blew up and blows our minds and then when you start to live through that time mm. where that becomes way more common of people trying to get pregnant and you go, Oh my God, this is, it seems to be happening to, to everyone around me almost. Right. One of the things that I noticed in, in that is that when I'm like scrolling through Instagram and I see somebody post like, uh, like we're, you know, 30 weeks pregnant, right. like so excited, like can't wait for the baby to come. And the, like those Instagram pregnancies. Yeah. It always makes me like cringe Instagram a little bit prices. because I'm like, fuck, like there's no like, yes, maybe they're happy. Maybe things are going yeah. really well and that's so great for them. But like thinking about all of the people who are so, like struggling right. through that, whether they're right. struggling to get pregnant, whether they're dealing with a miscarriage, um, it just feels like it's so common that those things happen that when I see those Instagram pregnancies, I'm like, 
fuck like right like thinking about the triggering yeah aspect for other people i wish i could just like reach out and like hug all the people who are like looking at that and going fuck man my pregnancy is not like that or like my experience isn't like that um do do you do you notice that when you're on social media at all Yes, I do. And I think for a long time, I felt really badly that I did. Mm. Like, what a bitter person to feel jealous over someone else's pregnancy. Like, you know, you kind of have those thoughts. But, you know, a lot of time has passed and I've done a lot of like mental health and work, but just kind of accepting that that's okay to feel sad for a moment Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. be like, okay, that's not my experience. I would have loved to have had that experience. I would have loved to have been able to celebrate a pregnancy and to, you know, not have it go the way that it went. Mm-hmm. And then just acknowledging it and then kind of moving on. Because yeah. there's no, you know, you can never avoid pregnant people. You right. know, like you can never, yeah. like they're going to be <laughs> around forever. <laughs> yeah. And at least let's, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, yeah let's hope. <laughs> Same with babies. So you kind of have to learn skills to handle that Mm -hmm. but i do hear what you're saying i i guess too like when you see the the perfect instagram pregnancy Mm -hmm. and it it always makes me sort of ask myself that question like i wonder if it's really as perfect as they're portraying it to me and i hope that it is yes but i yeah and maybe it's a way for them to uh, like want it to appear or feel as though that it was right well what what are those what are those skills that to try and to try and and gain in order to uh, kind of like manage those feelings when they come up, because like, like social media, I mean, you can't, you can't get around it. You're walking down the street, you're on your, I mean, social media is probably the biggest place in which, in which you see it because yeah. you're just, you're inundated with, uh, you know, with an algorithm that's just pushing stuff to you that is based off of your, your age, your gender. Like it's like you, the things that are happening the things, in your life, the things that the are time. happening in your life. I yeah. mean, you know, if you're a, if, you know, if you're a, you know, 25 to 35 year old woman, you're probably getting yeah. You're you're like Instagram is going give her babies. Like, <laughs> you should see my algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's, so how so being somebody you know somebody who's looking at that and going and fe- and having those feelings of going oh like I've I've had miscarriages or I've had trouble be- becoming pregnant and I'm and I'm I'm sick of seeing this everywhere yeah. and it's affecting their mental health which you know I'm not no judgment on on that affecting yeah. your mental health of course it will how do you what are the skills that that help. I think just being really gentle with yourself, because at least in in my experiences, I really resisted those feelings because I felt that they, A, they don't feel good. Mm-hmm. So you're going to try to resist them. And and B, I kind of started feeling like a bad person and, you know, feelings of jealousy, but just being gentle. And so if you see something and you feel badly about it or upset or jealous, or, just it's okay to feel that way. Mm-hmm. It's okay to feel that way and sit with it. And then maybe go and do something that makes you happy mm-hmm. for the next 10 minutes. You know, mm-hmm. you know, click off. I work at, you know, a hospital filled with pregnant women and babies. So that was a challenge <laughs> for me. But just, you know, go do something that's going to kind of uplift you after. Mm-hmm. But also don't berate yourself for feeling that way. Because mm-hmm. the feeling will be temporary. But when you start stuffing it down and when you try to stamp on it, I think that's when it becomes more of a problem later right. on. Do you, so, you know, looking back over the last five and a half, six years since the time that you were on the show to talk about your experience with miscarriage, do you feel like the, do you feel like the conversation itself has kind of 
evolved and changed within society in terms of the way that people are, whether people are more open to talk about miscarriages or like from your perspective, do you think it's still shrouded in that shame and secrecy kind of thing? Or, or are we seeing an evolution of people being a little bit more open to talking about this thing that is very prevalent? I think, you know, at least in my circles online and in my personal life, I feel like we're starting to see a trend of it becoming more of a mainstream topic. Like, I don't know if you saw the news, I think it was last uh, winter when New Zealand um, said there was bereavement leave for miscarriages. Mm -hmm. So that was a big thing that kind of was on a lot of, you know, multinational news sources. So I feel like we're inching our way to a bigger conversation. Right, right. That's such a crazy... That, that it seems like when you say the, the New Zealand bereavement leave, like I go, of course, yeah. like yeah. if there's ever been a time where you need, where, where you need some time to yourself, to think, to be with people that you care about, that can be helpful. Like I can't think of a time that's, that, that, that could be more important. Yeah. Then, then right after you ha- you have a miscarriage, you're, you're grieving a loss, and so yeah. like if 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 your um partner died or your family member family member died, somebody would you know probably give you the time off. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. grieving a, of that, right? right. You're so, grieving a loss, and you're also grieving the the future that you envisioned in your yeah. mind, right? Yeah. Because you because when you when you become pregnant, you're you're looking you know like that where your mind goes into, Oh, what will they, what will they be like? What, what, you know, what, 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 what are they going to, what, what are they, they what colors yeah. are they? What, what kind of, are they going to be into sports? Are they going to be artistic? Are they going to, you know, what are their friends going to be like? You know, their what it's going to be this month. What am I going to be like in, yeah. in 20 years when I've had a kid that, you know, grows up and, you know, goes off to do whatever. And, and, and then all of a sudden I, they're on the bathroom floor and you're like, well, now I got to mop this up. Yeah. Guys. You know, I, guys. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. Wow. Jared, that took some, I, mean, I mean, really for a like, second there, I thought you meant like an 18 year old who's wasted and is like throwing up on the floor and you need to figure out how to, what, like how you're going to punish them. No, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the miscarriage. So I, I laughed when you were saying that I kind of laughed for a second there, Taylor, because I was like, how do, like in my head, I'm always like, how do I relate to this? And I like grieving a loss of what could be. And I thought it's exactly like buying a lottery ticket and thinking about what it would be like if you won. And you're like, yes, that'll be the best life ever. And then you check your numbers and you realize that you lost. And you just feel this sadness that was like it's a slight so yeah, it's a yeah, slight it parallel, it, it, or, or it being is. told you have the winning numbers, <laughs> yeah, yes, right, yes, and then yes. finding out when right. you go to cash I, it in. It was actually for last yeah. week's draw. I feel like yeah. Yeah. I feel like if the lotto odds were the same odds of getting a miscarriage, it would be exactly. Like that. <laughs> yeah, if you're you like, know, I like, got a one in four chance, chance of being a bajillionaire, <laughs> and I just lost that, and Fuck. I was told I was the winner. Yeah, yeah, I was told I was the winner. You know what though, dude? I bet I bet there are tons of people out there who are like, I would rather be able to have a kid then win the lottery because yeah. to yeah. them that would be like winning the lottery. The, yeah oh right. my god yeah i mean yeah. i i you know i i have i i have somebody that's you know f- fairly close to me that want that tried to have a kid for a really long time and couldn't mm-hmm. and that that has been like a 10 that's been 10 years mm-hmm. and that affects her at the deepest level mm-hmm. every day yeah now you've had five miscarriages in total in your life yes jesus christ but you did eventually win the lottery. Yes. You had a son. Very much so. Yeah. Um, 
but that, uh, how, let's go through the process of that. And like, what was that? What was your pregnancy like? Was it, you know, um, was it challenging because like, I, I actually don't know much about this. I don't know. Like if you're someone who is, who is, um, like yourself, it seems pretty, apt to having a, a miscarriage apt is a good word yeah sure yeah. <laughs> uh, does it does that did, like when you are when you get to the point where you're like okay no it looks like I'm having this baby are you being told things like well because you've had so like so many miscarriages there's a chance that this pregnancy could be a rocky road like what was your pregnancy like and and yeah walk us through that yeah so um my pregnancy was complicated so I was pregnant with my son probably five months after we got, after we spoke in February, 2016. So I got pregnant with him and you think I, the podcast was a, uh, played a role in that. I was hundred percent. It. it definitely yeah, did. That yeah. makes sense. Well, yeah. well, I think that checks out. Can, can, can give life. Um, so I did, I got pregnant with him and I started bleeding at about the same time as all of my other miscarriages. Mm. So I found out, or so I went to the hospital saying I'm having another miscarriage because this has happened two times before. They said it looks that way. And then I found out I had something that's called a subchorionic hematoma, which is basically a bruise between uh, the placenta and the uterus. Oof, yeah. So, yeah, sorry. Getting no, okay. crazy. We've been um, learning about the placenta recently and it's a it's a fascinating. It's so cool. Yeah. Cool. The placenta is big. <laughs> huge, huge. Yeah. Yes. I did not know that. Yes. Um, so at that point, I was told 50 50 chance if you will oh, wow. move forward. So then. How, how far into the pregnancy is that, too? I started bleeding at about seven weeks. Okay. And then I bled until maybe 14 weeks. Okay. So not knowing. So that was very stressful. Oh. Stressful already, you know, having had two miscarriages, getting pregnant. My anxiety is already really high. Mm-hmm. Now I'm having these complications, being told things aren't going well. I eventually stopped bleeding. And then I have the kind of in-depth ultrasound around the 20-week mark, which doesn't go that well. They think my son, we didn't know it was the son at the time, has, has complications. So potential chromosomal abnormality. So we have to go for a more in-depth scan. So my anxiety is like yeah. 10 out of 10 yeah. at like the 21 week mark. And all throughout, they kind of are warning me due to, you know, my heart shaped womb, as we talked about before, I was at a risk for all of these things. So preterm labor, um, my baby being breached. So never being able to turn head down, needing to have a C-section, all of these things. Um, so at about the 28 week mark, my doctor's like, okay, your baby's not going to have enough room to turn around. You're going to have to go for a C-section. Mm. I was like, okay, that's fine. Like I don't just keep it alive. Yeah. Um, and then at uh, 31 weeks on Christmas Eve, my water broke and Whoa. my son was born four days later. Whoa. Whoa. 31 weeks. So you're nine weeks early. Yeah. So he was three pounds, um, born like an emergency C-section. Oh, wow. And we spent about a month in the NICU with him. And then we got to bring him home. And he's four. Wow. What's his name? Teddy. Oh, Teddy. That's a great classic Uh, name. He's a great kid. uh, You just said something that that struck me there. Um, The book is called A Womb in the Shape of a Heart. Yes. I thought that was like some sort of beautiful poetic metaphor, Mm. Um, which I'm sure there's some sort of poetic metaphor meaning there. But uh, uh, heart-shaped womb is actually a thing. That's what yes. we talked about on the 
first in the oh, first did we talk? Oh, oh, yeah. I, 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 doesn't I, I remember. told you I don't have a good memory. Jared doesn't remember anything. Yeah. From was there a prevalent? Yes. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Was no, it I, ectopic pregnancies? That, I had a, I had Jesus a, Christ, a Brian. yeah, I know he has a great wow. memory. I had a Actually, heterotopic I pregnancy. I swear to God, I didn't listen back <laughs> he to it. Yeah. Yeah. You retain info. Fucking liar. You're smart. Yeah. Thank you so much. So I have a bicornate uterus, which is kind of the fancy way of saying it's a heart shaped womb. So it's shaped like an actual heart. Aww. Whereas, like normally, it's kind of shaped like an egg, like, yeah, or like a pear, upside down pear, or whatever. Mm, yeah. Sure, right. So, yeah, so it has kind of double meaning. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, can, because I'm a fucking idiot and I can't remember <laughs> anything, can you can you remind me like why a heart shaped womb is not a good shaped womb, or um, or sorry, not an ideal shaped womb? It's not ideal because so there's this kind of big divot at the top, and so when a baby implants um it can have a hard time stretching the uterus to be full size Uh. so that's why you're at risk for preterm delivery so what they think happened is at the 31 week mark my son just ran out of room and my water broke so wasn't able to cut like he he was kind of on one side right Mm. so like half the space of like a normal uterus um as far as the miscarriages go um they they blame my shaped uterus on it but even my doctor has said i'm the worst case of because people with bicornate uterus have babies all the time without complication he's like you're pretty much the worst case oh wow scenario yeah so i don't want to scare anybody you you mentioned that at 20 weeks they thought that there could be potential chromosome chromosomal abnormalities Mm -hmm. um were were there no, we were very lucky. Okay. So they found two kind of markers in the anatomy scan that made them want to do a more in-depth scan. And then they said I might have to go for an amniocentesis where they, you know, do the testing where they stick a needle in through the uterus and pull out a um, sample of the amniotic fluid to test for. How stuff. crazy is, is that? Fucking insane. I know. It's that wild. they can do that. I know. Yeah. That comes with complication, like, you right. know, risks as well. I so bet. I was happy I didn't need to do <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, Crazy. here are things we need to do better. Hi, I'm Jessie Crookshank. Jessie Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. I, I don't mean I don't want this to sound like I'm trying to get you to blow smoke up our asses, but I am I I am curious because we, we don't really have this opportunity very often to like sit down with someone who's been on the show so long ago and talk about something that was so so challenging in their life at the time and then and then to go through that same process three more times and then eventually you know get to the other side of it and, and have a baby. Um, what what was your like? What was that experience like for you to come on the show back then and to talk about something that was so personal and to talk about something that again is like so shrouded in secrecy. I mean, there's only 60 people listening, so <laughs> <laughs> probably underwhelming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I like to go in Bride's mom's basement. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, um, right. yeah. <laughs> no, it was really empowering for me because I look back on that time and it was probably about two months 
I was about two months after my miscarriage. So things were pretty raw when I still, things were still pretty raw when I came to talk to you guys. And I felt a lot lighter after Mm. leaving that space. And for me, it gave me a chance to kind of laugh about it Mm -hmm. a bit. And, you know, joy (laughs) is a part of grief and laughter is a part of grief. And and having that conversation with the right people in the right setting at the right time was very healing for me. Mm. And it kind of, I feel like it led to me really a part of why I wanted to share my story even more. Mm. And I had people come up to me after my episode aired, people that I knew quite closely who I didn't know had gone through similar things. And right. we had we were able to share and chat about it. And I, I no longer felt like I was hiding. I kind of outed myself as a person dealing with something hard and the result was connection. Mm, yeah. So that was really good. And you guys are mentioned in the book. Oh, uh, cool. Oh, just right. to let you know. Very cool. Chapter eight. Um, and who who's featured more? Uh, <laughs> I think I say a guy and some friends. I don't <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think that that is like, that is, that throughout the history of doing the show, that is, that is like, that's probably the number one piece of feedback that we get. And the thing that kind of lies at the heart of the show is that realization of, of the person that we had on the show and also the people that are listening that, that have that, Oh, I'm not the only one. Like, because, because no matter what you're going through, it can, it feels isolating, you yeah. know, and, and, and because it, because it, because it, it fucks with your mind, you know, and mm-hmm. it makes you think I'm, I'm in, I'm going through this. And especially in the age of social media where, you know, everything's hunky dory and you're looking and going, everybody else has this perfect life. I'm, yeah. I'm going through this crazy thing right now. That's really, that's really hard. And then hearing that or sa- saying that, and then having somebody come up and say, holy shit, you know, we've known each other you never knew this. I was going through that same thing and creating that deeper level, deeper level of connection with somebody mm-hmm. that, you know, you were close, you were close with already, but, but you know, you didn't share that piece of information because of the, you know, the stigmas and stuff that we try to break down when we're talking mm-hmm. on the show. That's amazing that to, and not, to not that. to make it, you know, not to turn this into like a three way circle jerk, but like the, the <laughs> whole, the, the, at the point of that is to show folks that you don't need, this you don't need this right. platform to cultivate that in your life you don't need yeah. to have it put right. on blast on 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 the air you can do that in your own life you can and you can you can do that with the people that you surround yourself with you you can do that in a very informal way with your friends yeah. but um something that i i really want to talk about um because it's been guys probably a few episodes since i've talked about it um which is therapy which is my like i think you mentioned it yesterday thing. but um talking about in a formal setting and um and talking about like how talk therapy can help i'm really curious um about your experience going from uh journaling and and writing about what you've been through and then speaking to a therapist like what what support did a therapist provide you with that you might not have been getting Mm. through just writing about your experience Mm -hmm. and even talking to your friends they gave me a a good understanding of things I was doing that I didn't even know I was doing. So I carried a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. And even now I can go back through each miscarriage and I can pinpoint a moment where I felt I caused it. 
And so it, and it still makes me kind of choke up talking about it, even though I know that's not the case, but having someone, not my friend, not my husband, no offense, not you guys, (laughs) um, to kind of objectively say, do you hear how you're speaking to yourself? Mm. And you have you have a lot of self-blame that we need to work on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just so common for me to kind of turn on myself because it was my body doing this. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, you can't really separate yourself from your body. So yeah. when you're feeling all this anger at your body, you're feeling all this anger at yourself. Mm-hmm. And we need to look at that. Think about when your therapist says that, like, 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 do you hear what you're saying to yourself? <laughs> if your partner said that to you or if your friend said that to you, you'd be like, what do you mean what I'm saying to myself? I'm not fucking saying what you think yeah. I'm saying. But as soon as a therapist says it, yeah. you're like, yeah. oh, shit. It's crazy yeah. how it's crazy <laughs> how that how yeah. like third party information comes through in yeah. a different way when you don't have that personal you know, all the, all the layers that are, that go on top of like your personal relationships with whoever it might be with student, you know, you hear from a therapist or you're, or you're, or you're a listener of a, of a, a, you know, you're listening to something on the radio or your podcast or a show. And they, they like, they say the same thing that like your best friend or your partner said to you three days earlier (laughs) that that you told them to shut the fuck up when they said it. (laughs) And then you hear it in this like third party way. And you're like, Oh wow, that's really it really, uh, that's right. Me. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's almost like you don't have that emotional attachment. So you yeah. don't, mm-hmm. and, and there, you also aren't like, oh, well they are just saying that cause they love me. Yeah. Like, yeah, of right. course yeah. you're going to say it's you not my to. fault. Yeah. You have no other yeah. choice. Yeah. Do like uh, to that point of, of, um, trying to like relearn that your body is good and that your body is capable of, of good what do you what have you learned through therapy or 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 through the process of writing this book or whatever that like any tools or anything that you've learned that help you kind of retrain your mind to start to love your body again because like that really resonates with me you mm-hmm. know this this notion of like hating your body because your body isn't doing the things that you know that it can do or has done or want it to do um like that, I I go through that constantly. And it's mm-hmm. just, and but I, but it's not something I've really ever thought about until you just said that right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess you know, help. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. So for for me, my body felt the exact opposite of a mother. So like a mother mm. is supposed to be nurturing. You're supposed to be safe. You're supposed to be warm. And my body felt very cold and destructive, and it felt like the most dangerous place for my babies to be. And so that was something that I really internalized for years. Even my son wasn't safe inside of my body. Mm-hmm. He was born early because of my body. He was, you know, needing life-saving medical treatment because of me. So I needed to remind myself that my body is capable of all these other things. I'm, mm. I'm a nurse. I've nurtured people physically with my body. You know, I'm able to hug my husband. I'm able to do all of these things. And just remind myself that it's, you know, this is one aspect of it, but this isn't something that my body did. It's something that happened to my body. And it's kind of a really subtle distinction, but it was really important for me to kind of separate the two. Mm -hmm. Because to me, it felt like it was something I was doing, not something that was happening to me. Yeah. And not, not making myself the victim, but acknowledging that these are traumatic things that I endured 
And also my body is capable of all these wonderful things too. Mm-hmm. So just kind of speaking a little more kindly to myself, yeah. I was very negative um, without even really knowing internally. And so even now, like I'll go for a jog and, I, you know, I didn't even know this until I started therapy, but in the past I'd be like, oh, you piece of shit. Like, this is so hard because you're not, you're so lazy. <laughs> and and now I'm like, okay, I'm like, yeah. look, you're running. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah right. it's hard, but like, look, you went a little further you're than you it. thought you would. Yeah. Oh, it's a good song. Like, you know, just kind of <laughs> like changing the inner monologue and mm. that takes time and repetition Ooh, yeah, yeah. and it I wanted a quick fix yeah. I think we all do like yeah, you don't totally. want to feel bad you, yeah. you don't want to feel bad and you want to just you know feel better and the shitty thing is is that it just takes a lot of time and work yeah it, it, it's about finding those little victories like mm-hmm. when you're when you're going for a run the fact that you get out and you go whether you're whether you start with walking whether you start with um you know a, a light jog you do 500 meters, a thousand meters. And then the next day you do a little bit more. If you can get into the habit of doing things like that, it's, it's going to help you train your mind to Mm -hmm. see what your body is capable of. And the positive inner monologue is what is going to make it easier to do that the next time. Mm -hmm. And the next time, because when the, when the, when the inner monologue is negative during that experience, then consciously or subconsciously your relationship to that thing is negative. Therefore, less likely to continue or to build a or create a habit of it yeah and so if you if that monologue is is positive then oh i want to do that thing because i'm associating it with feeling good thinking good while i'm doing Mm -hmm. it yeah um what was your relationship to your miscarriage miscarriage is after you had your son was it different from the relationship with it before that you had three more after your son yeah so i had the first two i had my son and then my son was um about two and in the course of a year i had three more so i think you know i think the assumption sometimes is that if you have a child gets easier and i think a lot of people you know wanted me to Again, it speaks to the discomfort that we have with grief and, and hard things in our culture where people would be like, oh, thank God you have your son. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah thank God I have my son. Mm. And also, I'm really sad about this yeah. baby that I yeah. lost. Yeah. And in some ways, having my son kind of highlights what I really lost mm. because now I really understand all of the things that I missed out on with each of those other babies. Mm. Right. So it it deepened it in a way. Um, and I also think because that sort of is the chorus around talking about miscarriage and a lot of, you know, infertility circles online and stuff, they talk about the at least statements. And so you'll go up to someone and they're like, oh, at least you can get pregnant. Like at least it happened early. At least you have your son. That-. And it's very dismissive mm. of, of that right. loss. And I started saying that myself. Mm. I would, you know, someone would find out that I'd had, you know, my fifth miscarriage and they'd be like oh my I'm like oh no at least I have my son and and it was very dismissive of that experience for Mm -hmm. what it was and I had to kind of retrain myself to just be like no that was really hard and and I I mourned them very deeply after yeah I've I've never heard of at least statements and Mm -hmm. and it it's um interesting because like people are saying those things because they think that they're, they're helping. It reminds me of the conversation that we had with Estelle Thompson and, yeah. and 
when we were saying, I, Jer said, I can't imagine what you've been right. through. And she's like, no, you can. And like, do it. Imagine it because yeah. right. you're making me feel so There's alone. There's a distance in my, now. Yeah. yeah. And, and so um, I understand like people are saying that they, they want to say at least you have this because it's a re- they want it's you a to feel better. They're trying to make you feel right. better. But it's really doing yeah, the opposite. And of, it comes from a place of, like you said, mm. well, good or well-being. But I think if you were at someone's funeral of you know, their spouse, you wouldn't say, oh, at least you can get married again now. Mm, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, there, right. there's a different layer. Yeah. There's a different layer when yeah. it comes to infertility and totally. miscarriages and loss like that. Like, oh, at least you have another child yeah. as if one replaces the other. Yeah. I think yeah. that there's a, yeah. I think yeah. there's a, I think yeah. there's a, um, there's a, a notion out there. And I, and, and I think that this is far more prevalent, if not exclusively prevalent of, of in people that, have uh you know never been pregnant or never had a child to think like well you know you didn't you know like they you never met them like they mm-hmm. they weren't the person and so to or you know however way you want to define that but that that you know it's somehow it's like hard but it's not it's not like it's not like the you had a history. You, you're not like you knew them right. or you like a, right. like a person that you know that died. But it is that, and especially from the perspective of somebody who's carrying the, the child. I mean, the the changes that you go through when you're yeah. pregnant, and yeah. the feelings, and the emotions, and the thoughts of like we you know like we were talking about earlier, like projecting into the future yeah. and thinking. I mean, like that you. It is the death. It is the death of that of that idea, yeah. Um, yeah. as well as you know, very much so the physical thing. Like, yeah, it, I think it comes from a good. It comes from a good place. It's a reflex. It it's a reflex for people to be positive and to reinforce. You know, like, but there's like it's gonna be okay because <laughs> yeah. of this other thing, right? Like, look yeah. at this shiny thing over yeah. here, yeah. like mm-hmm. kind of trying to distract you, maybe. Yeah, I think it's also the fact that, like, so say you and I were talking about this, and you told me that you had a, a miscarriage, and I and I said, well, at least you have your son. It could be me going. I don't want to talk. I don't yes. like. Uh, like I want don't burn I, me with like, this. I want right. you yeah. to feel better because I don't like. I don't want to deal with the emotions that you're going right. through right now. So. Um, I think it's important that we realize what those emotions are and learn to sit yeah. with, so with this in that space too. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think yeah. doing this show really to hear that. has made me, has made me think, uh, when I, whenever that, whenever something comes up in with somebody set who says, you know, I, I, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that. It's almost, my reflex has become more so now like, Oh, how much does that suck? Yeah. Right. Because I yeah. bet it does. Right. Yes. And and really, that seems to be more often than not, you know, some people don't want to talk about it and that's fine. Yeah. But most people seem to want to be like, fuck, it really does. Exactly. And that's such a good opener and response. It's a very like safe thing to say to someone who has, you know, divulged that they are going through something difficult. Just like mm-hmm. that acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Whereas all like all of the things that we're kind of trained to say, like they're on the tip of my tongue too. Mm-hmm. And I said them about myself. And so we're trained to say these things, but they're really kind of, they can do more harm than good. Mm-hmm. And I think the what speaking to what you said about, you know, you know, it wasn't, you didn't know them or, or, you know, look how bad it could have been. I think we tend to compare bad thing. So if you are going through something hard, 
sometimes people want to say, but look how much harder it could be as if that will make that thing easier. Whereas if you flipped it and if you're like, oh, I'm so happy that, you know, this coffee is so good. Mm. You'd be like, well, but you could be happier if you won the lottery. Like, (laughs) like you don't compare that way. And it's not going to like you should be able to just have that experience without needing to kind of qualify and compare. Mm -hmm. And that's a dangerous thing. That's and on the flip side of the good thing. That's a dangerous thinking habit to have. If you're always thinking it could be better. Exactly. Then you're always then like, you're never satisfied. You're right, but just be happy with a cup of coffee. Yeah. And yeah, you know, and like most people wouldn't externally say, oh, but well, it's not that great. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. if you're enjoying it, enjoy yeah. it. And if you're sad. I sad. also made that coffee, so I know it's good. <laughs> um, yeah. I, time, it was the only example I had. Yeah. <laughs> uh, t- I, mean, I mean, I think time for the million dollar question that everyone's, it's, you know, everybody's wondering. If you didn't have all these miscarriages, do you think you would currently now have six children? No. <laughs> six. I can't even wrap my head around that. Six. Dude, baby pe- Bjorns. Guys, later. people used to do that. Oh, yeah. That time. was like a medium amount of kids yeah. at yeah. one point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, dad's got, my dad's got seven brothers and a sister. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Do children of men, man. PFAs. What are they called? Uh, Phthalates? Uh, the uh, the forever plastic. The forever plastic. Something yeah. in the water. Yeah. We had this crazy. This is sort of. This is kind of off topic, but not yeah. really. It's adjacent. We had this. Um, there was a an article that came out. Erin uh, Brockovich wrote the article, but she was writing based on a book uh, that I can't remember. Something Swan. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the, the woman's first name. Um, wrote a book about these plastics, and they're in like it's in everything. It's in the cups it's everything. in the wood it's in the fabric of the chairs it's in everything mm-hmm. they're called forever plastics they're called forever plastics and they are a leading cause of uh of infertility infertility in both men and women oh, wow. so infertility in women and like and like 50 percent of the sperm count in men over since like 1975 or something mm-hmm. and it was basically saying like if we keep doing this there aren't going to be any babies in 20, wow. I think it was 2045. Yeah. twenty forty five. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> it's right around the corner. Yeah, um, imagine some... the, uh, like the, the cure to that is that you just, if you're planning on getting pregnant, you have to go in the woods in nature and like live in a, in like a log cabin for 12 months and yeah. totally Leading dismiss. To yes. Yeah. And totally dismiss the realm of medicine that has like allowed us to have to, for birth rates to be good. Right. Yeah, this is a good movie. Right. I'd watch this movie. <laughs> uh, Joanne, tell us about uh, how, how can people get their hands on the book um, and how can people stay up to date with what you're up to? Yeah. So I have a Instagram account. It's Joanne Glant writes and I do have a website. It's joanneglant.com. Very easy to remember. And the book will be available at the end of the month, I guess, shortly after this episode airs. Literally and, came out the d- oh, yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Great. September um, 21st. So Indigo chapters, um, Amazon, online independent bookstores. It's in the States too. So Barnes and Noble. Nice. Cool. So it's Pretty widely available in North Sweet. America. Right? Amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations um, on on your son. Congratulations on the book. And thank you so much for taking the time to come in here today and sit down with us in studio and, and give us a bit of insight into the book and, and into what you've been through since we saw you last. This has been really, really fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me back. Yeah.
That is it for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends. We love those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.